Reader's Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. Happy Halloween. It's Halloween time on Book Lights. This is my favorite time of year and my favorite time of year on Book Lights as well because all of my horror friends are on all month. So very fun, all the spooky times. Anyone who knows me knows I got my start in publishing, writing horror short stories. So it's very dear to my heart. I love to be spooky and scary. And Lisa Morton is on with us today, and she is an official. Halloween expert, and she has become a staple of our Halloween shows on Book Lights. We were just talking before the show. It's our it's our annual call, um, <laughs> but I can't wait for you to meet her. And if you haven't read any of Lisa Morton's books, she has fiction, nonfiction. There's a little bit of everything there. Uh, her, I'm going to read her bio here so you can get to know her, and there is a link there to her uh, website, and if you click on that, it, you can sign up for her newsletter where it's Halloween every day, right? Yay! <laughs> so, Lisa Morton is a screenwriter, author of nonfiction books, and a prose writer whose work was described by the American Library Association's Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror as consistently dark unsettling and frightening. My fave. Um, she was a six-time winner of the Bram Stoker Award, the author of four novels and over 150 short stories, and a world-class Halloween and paranormal expert. Her latest releases include Calling the Spirits, A History of Seances, and Haunted Tales, Classic Stories of Ghosts and the Supernatural, which she co-edited with Leslie S. Klinger. And Lisa lives in Los Angeles and online at her website, and you'll find the link right there, whether you're listening live or listening later. Definitely go check that out. And I don't want to delay any further. Are you there, Lisa? I am. Thanks for having me on again. Yes, I get so excited every year as October rolls around because I get to catch up with you because you always have exciting, interesting projects going. And you have a book up for pre-order right now, right, Halloween Beyond? Do you want to tell everybody why they should go pre-order that? I I do, and thank you, and they should. Um, It is a collection (laughs) of three Halloween-themed novellas. I wrote one of them. The other two are by incredible authors Lucy A. Snyder and Kate Mariyama. They all interlink. They're all surrounding a um, very mysterious Halloween store called Halloween Beyond that pops up in small towns across America and sells a little bit more than just costumes and decorations. And um, I was really honored to be asked to provide one of these novellas. Uh, The publisher is a wonderful small press called Crystal Lake Publishing, and um, this is going to be coming out on the 21st. And it is the first um, novella I have written in eight years. It's it's the longest piece of fiction I've written since uh, the last eight years. So it was kind of me working those longer fiction muscles back into shape, and it was really fun to do. And how... how cool is it that it's interlinked? So all the stories happen in the same store, or how are they linked up? 
They happen in one of the um, branches of this chain store that pops up across. It's similar to Spirit Halloween, except our Halloween Beyond right. stores have actual magic happening in them. And yeah, we um, <laughs> when we came together, the three of us, um, the publisher gave us uh, the choice of either linking the novellas or just having each one be its own thing. And we chatted and said, "Oh no, let's let's link them up." So we had some Zoom calls and emails, and we talked about what we wanted to do and then Kate and Lucy asked if I would write the first one and then they would build from elements that I used so um, they have really interesting links and I've read all three obviously and they're fantastic and I can't wait to share these with people and I love the cover everyone definitely go check out the cover it's so classic Halloween it's wonderful (laughs) yeah it's a gorgeous cover by an artist named Ben Baldwin I love that cover too yeah, it turned out great. And it kind of sounds a little bit to me like something wicked this way comes with the traveling carnival, you know, the traveling Halloween store. Did you guys kind of get that spooky flavor in there? I never thought of that, but I absolutely can see that. And I would love it if people would draw that connection because that's actually one of my favorite books. I think that's a perfect Halloween read. Right, me too. Yeah, definitely one of those be be careful what you wish for kind of things. And I just love the imagery that Ray Bradbury used of, you know, hearing of the the wind and hearing the calliope and anyway, very spooky. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I wanted to ask you, too, because before the show started, we were talking about this other project that you have going that you can only just now talk about. But this is your first coffee table book about zombies, right? You want to tell everybody about that one? It is, yeah. Um, At the beginning of the year, I signed a deal to do my first big illustrated coffee table art book. And this is kind of something I've wanted to do forever. So it was like a bucket list item for me. And to be asked to do this one was really thrilling. It is called The Art of the Zombie Movie. It will be out in fall of 2023 from Applause Books. I have been working on it since January, and um, when you do a book like this, it is very different from doing any other kind of book. It was a whole learning experience for me, and because you are not just writing a book, you are choosing hundreds and hundreds of illustrations, and you are involved with the layout of the book, which is actually where we're at now. Just last week, I got to see the first layout pass, which means my first look at how the um, the illustrations are fitting in with the text and so forth. And um, it's so fun to, to watch it come together. And we've chosen some really cool art, I think. And I just cannot wait for people to see this one. And I'm wondering, the the because it's zombie movies, are they movie posters? What What's the art that's going to be in there? They are all kinds of things. Mainly they are posters, but we dug far and wide to find really unusual posters. Um, For example, uh, there is one chapter devoted to George Romero, as there should be in any zombie book. And um, (laughs) I worked with the archivist at the George A. Romero Special Archive Collection at the University of Pittsburgh to unearth some really, really cool stuff that hasn't been seen a lot. Um, from the Romero films. So we do also have just some um, like behind-the-scenes photos. We have photos of interesting merchandise that's come out of zombie movies. It's a really fun collection, (laughs) I think. 
I love that. Do you know when it's going to be out in 2023? Is it going to be like a cool Halloween thing, or are they going to do it earlier? It's going to be fall, and I am not sure yet of the exact release date, but my guess is that they'll certainly try to bring it out before Halloween, maybe like September, that kind of thing. Ah, fun. And I can imagine doing one of these books. You, When you were out looking for the photos and things, did you have to worry about, you know, could this get licensed or do, did the publisher do all that for you? The wonderful thing about this is somebody else handles all that. <laughs> um, you actually, on a big project like this, there is a person who is called the picture editor, and that is their job is oh. to just go out and – um, clear these things and so they are still at work on clearing images from this I like I said I am blissfully free of that I have had to do some of that on my other books when um, you write some of the nonfiction things you usually have to provide a few illustrations and um, that was much easier when you only had to provide something like 20 illustrations obviously on a book like this where you need to provide hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them um, and are not well-versed, perhaps, in copyright law. They have someone who is, and that's all they do. Oh, wow. I love that. And I had no idea that George Romero has an archive at the University of Pittsburgh. I didn't realize there was that much material. How Did you always know that existed, or did you track that I, down in all your research for the book? I actually was already in touch with them. It's a fabulous um, project that is happening at the University of Pittsburgh's library. Um, an archivist named Ben Rubin started this with getting Romero's material, and Romero kept everything over the course of his career, everything, hundreds of pieces, thousands of pieces. He kept every script, wow. every note, every photo, every newspaper clipping. And so after his death, the university acquired this incredible collection, and it took them years to catalog it. It was so huge, and it is now available online. Wow. You actually can go look at much of this collection online. But the university wow. decided, um, working with Ben, that they wanted to increase the archive, and they are now trying to create the world's largest horror archive. They um, are taking material wow. from other authors, and yeah, it's really incredible what they're trying to do. And um, I'm really happy that next year's um, big convention that the Horror Writers Association puts on, StokerCon, is going to be in Pittsburgh. And so Ben and others from the university will be heavily involved with that. And I have never visited, I've met Ben in person, but I have never visited the archives in person, and I cannot wait to see it. Oh, are they going to give a tour to the Horror Writers? They are, yes. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Um, that makes me wonder too if there's a, is there a Ray Bradbury archive somewhere? Because he saved there everything. Is. There is, and it's in, um, I forget the exact name of the town in Illinois. It might even be his town oh. where he grew up, but yeah, there is a, a Bradbury archive there. I think it's still kind of in the opening stages. It's been around uh, like putting stuff together for a few years, and I know they were looking for donations and so forth, but I think they have opened or are about to. Oh, okay. That would be something that I would like to see someday, too. Yes. <laughs> That's on my own personal note, but back to Halloween. Um, <laughs> so, 
for people who haven't heard you on the show before, um, we've talked about that you're a Halloween expert and, and you've written books about the history of Halloween and that kind of thing. How did you find yourself on this path? You were obviously a writer, but how did you get sucked into being a Halloween expert? It's so weird. People think it must be some lifelong obsession, and it really happened by accident almost. Um, I had done a film book about 20 years ago um, with a publisher called McFarland, and after we finished the film book, they said, do you want to do another book with us? And I looked at some things they had just brought out, and they had just published a book called The Christmas Encyclopedia. So I wrote them back, and being almost flippant, and said, hey, how about a Halloween encyclopedia? And they uh, they loved that idea, and we did that book. And when you write an encyclopedia, you gather so much information that it's very easy to, to roll it over into other books. And um, so I have now written three books on the history of Halloween, and it just kind of, you know, keeps snowballing from there. I love that. And what was your biggest surprise in, in researching about Halloween, like something that we all think is real and it actually came from something else? Oh, there are so many. I call it the most misunderstood of holidays. Um, I think <laughs> one of the things I hear over and over that, that kind of makes me crazy in terms of the history aspect is this notion that we put on costumes and masks because it's an age-old tradition to drive away evil spirits and it goes back to the ancient Celtics and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that Aww. is not the case <laughs> at all. It sounds fabulous. I grew up hearing that from my own mother. But, um, the, for example, trick-or-treat. People think that trick-or-treat is something that goes back centuries or even millennia. It's not. It's less than 100 years old. It is strictly American wow. in, in origin. Um, it came about as a way to buy off destructive pranksters because up until about the mid-30s, oh. Halloween in America was all about kids playing pranks. And by 1933, the pranks had moved into the cities and become so destructive that a lot of cities were thinking about banning Halloween. And fortunately, some cooler heads prevailed, and they started putting out <laughs> little guides. Many cities would put out these little these little pamphlets and guides for homeowners and would say, look, if you don't want the kids doing this, give them a party, give them costumes, give them treats. And that is where wow. we get trick-or-treat from. And we don't actually see, like, trick-or-treat being mentioned in national media in the U.S. until 1939. Um, there's a magazine wow. article that comes out in 1939 in a magazine called The American Home, and it's really the first time we see a gigantic mention of trick-or-treat, uh, the phrase being in conjunction with the kids in costumes, getting treats, not playing pranks. Um, right. So, yeah, and so trick or treat really is not that old um, as much as we wow. would love to say that it is. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and pretty soon we'll have a hundred year anniversary of trick or treat. That should be really special candies that year. <laughs> it should, yes. <laughs> I love seeing the comedians who are like who who do bits about Halloween and they're. They talk about how it's every kid's favorite holiday because someone explains it to you and you just go to the door and they give you candy for free. What? And what yeah, is the best absolutely. Holiday? Plus you get to you get to dress up to, on top of it and it's like somebody is paying you to be something really fun. 
Right. Well, that was my next question for you is, did you used to dress up when you were a kid? Do you have a favorite memory of a Halloween costume that was your best? Oh, yeah. I I loved dressing up. My whole family actually really loved Halloween. I, I was lucky in that my parents were very indulgent of their weird kid who loved horror and Halloween and so forth. And um, my dad was a hunter. He was really obsessed with hunting, which, you know, is kind of gross, but whatever. Um, and he would, we always had weird stuff around the house, like deer skins and so forth. And one year I wanted to be a cave woman. And, and as a kid, I was obsessed with authenticity, which is weird again for a kid. But I, um, <laughs> one year I wanted to be a cave woman. So my parents actually made me a real honest to goodness, like deer skin, uh, outfit and I had little deer skin booties and um, I think wow. I was about six when we did this yeah and I remember the only part of it that disappointed me was that I wanted to be able to carry a big club but I was like so small that I couldn't carry a huge <laughs> honking piece of wood around so my parents right. managed to find me a nice simple little plastic club that I could actually heft and um, that was probably my favorite costume, I think, just because it was so fun to put together with my folks and everybody being involved with it. And I love that. And I always have good memories of that also, like my my best Halloween costume. And it's so funny because I didn't think about it till you were just talking there, but I write a bunch of werewolf books. And that was my best costume. Huh? Nice. <laughs> I've never connected the two. But we worked, um, my my family had a weaving mill, and I told my mom one year that I wanted to be a werewolf, but I wanted real hairy skin. And my mom's like, okay. <laughs> but we had this weaving mill, and so she was playing with some of the different yarns, um, and we had chenilles and wools, which are really fluffy. And so the lint that comes off of them is like this grayish-brown lint color. And my mom's like, huh. So we got a flannel shirt and jeans and cut holes in them, and everywhere where my skin was exposed, we, we like, double-faced taped on all of this lint. So it was like I had real fur all over me. I was so hot and itchy, but it was the best Halloween costume ever. Oh, <laughs> that's my great. Wow. Everywhere, yeah. So I was a really furry werewolf, but that's so funny that I write werewolves now. Never, I never thought about it, but yeah, I think that was that was probably my best my best costume. But it's always fun when your whole family gets involved, you know, and it's a group project. Those are those are the best Halloween costumes. They absolutely are. <laughs> so I was going to ask because I always do an annual Halloween movie countdown every year on social media, and it's been going on for I don't know seven eight years now, and. Um, so anyway, I'm always looking to add new things, and this year I added a few new things because there was lots of good horror out this year. But I thought since you're an expert, you might have some amazing horror movies or TV that we should be watching. Um, I, When it comes to, like, Halloween viewing, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I, it's my time of year to just wallow in the universal monster movies I grew up with. Um, Love it. My yeah, we actually, in my house, we put those on our own custom servers so we can watch them anytime. Um, and I love, the, 
I love the goofy, cheap ones like House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula that were just these monster mashes, and they're they're you know they're silly in terms of plot and writing and all that, but they're they're just so fun and they're nostalgic, and you get all the monsters, and um, so those are some of my favorite things to watch. Although I think our n- newest tradition around here is probably to watch Trick or Treat every year. That's a great one. Yes, that one is very good. And uh, with the monster movies, did you ever see Van Helsing, the Hugh Jackman one, where they did a mashup and had, like, every monster in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that one. That one's that yeah, one's that got good fun. good monster movie energy. And the original uh, Fright Night, where they did the old-school monster makeup, did you see oh, that yes, one? That right. one is a classic that we watch every year around here <laughs> when all yeah. the vampires get these giant mouths. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this was monster makeup, no CGI. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And I love that horror is getting like a new birth on all of the streaming services with them making their own. Um, there was so much great content this year. Um, I don't know if you saw Prey, but that's on Hulu, and it's a prequel to um, – the prequel to oh – gosh, brain, come on. Predator. Predator. There we go. I'm like, it starts with a P, but um, it's a prequel to Predator, and it h- takes place with um, the Choctaw – Indians and they used all Native American actors and it was so fantastic. I was blown away. It was great. And I haven't Netflix seen that yet. Having, I want to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely check that one out. And if you have um, Netflix, they have that Midnight Mass was really interesting. Uh, that was biblical horror. <laughs> of, you know what? If, what if the angel Paul met was actually a vampire? Um, <laughs> I did get to see that, yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward now to uh, The Midnight Club, which is from the same filmmaker, Mike Flanagan, who is really good, so I'm I'm trying to make time now. I think that just started airing, Um, and of course, this is a time of year when it can be hard for me to carve out time. (laughs) Right, right. You might have to watch it after Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Another great one that, like, involves weird time slips and things was Archive 81. Um, Just phenomenal twists and turns, but it had my favorite, all my favorite things like secret societies and haunted buildings and little quantum physics of people slipping through time. Anyway, Archive 81 was very spooky and and worth watching. So anybody out there looking for spooky things, definitely look that one up too. (laughs) My um, personal uh, favorite thing on Netflix over the last few years, and and I'm almost thinking we may even have talked about this when I was on before, but they did a French miniseries a few years ago called Marianne, which is one of my absolute favorite things ever in terms of television. I absolutely loved it. And it's because the lead character is a female horror writer. (laughs) And um, it's it's great. And and I know people tend to sometimes shy away from things that are subtitled, but they really shouldn't, especially this one, which is, like I said, is one of my favorite horror things ever. And um, it gets into this, this female horror writer who's written this series of novels about a legendary witch, and it turns out the witch may be real. And 
Um, it's incredibly scary, and the acting and the production and everything on it is just stunning. So um, I think it's still available on Netflix. I've watched it like three times, and um, I, that's oh. my big recommendation, yeah. Nice. Okay, I'm going to look that one up, too. And I wanted to ask if you have favorites of your work of short stories or novels. I know you have the Halloween one coming October 21st, but is there something already out that we could read that would get us, like, in the spooky mood? Um, I have a collection of all Halloween-themed fiction that came out a few years ago that's called The Shamanock and Other Halloween Treats. Um, that collects four Halloween-themed novellas and I think 10 or 11 short stories. So um, that's a collection that wow. I think is a good idea of my, my fiction stuff and is all certainly right in the spirit of the season. Definitely. And who who inspires you? Who do you love to read that makes you go, oh, my gosh, I need to go write a twisty story now? <laughs> Oh, gosh, so many people. Um, I mean, obviously, Shirley Jackson is incredible. Um, yes. There are so many mm-hmm. writers right now in the field who I think are just incredible, and I'm always trying to catch up on the new people. And um, I just love what's happening in horror literature right now, this huge explosion of, of women writers in particular and people of color, and it's really exciting yes. to watch what's happening right now. Yes, I think so, too. And I think that there are so many more scary stories to tell that we maybe aren't aware of because it might not be, you know, part of our culture. So it's worth grabbing a book, you know, from a writer maybe with a different ethnic background than you have just to hear their stories and legends and because there's so much, you know, that hasn't even been tapped into yet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. I was going to ask, this kind of dovetails into, where do you see horror going in the future? I think it's this, this sort of expansion into all these new areas is going to continue. It's um, I just I love what I'm seeing. It, it's funny because I was thinking the other day when I was first starting out writing fiction in the 1990s, you could pick up an anthology of stories by different authors and see zero women. I mean, they were all like the same right. dudes writing this stuff over and over right. now. Now you pick up any anthology and, and hopefully, I mean, it still happens from time to time that they're a little dude heavy, but you see all of these wonderful <laughs> female writers now exploring stuff and it's it's so fun and I, I, fortunately I do believe that is here to stay. I don't see the genre suddenly reversing course and going back to that, but um, and it's just, I think we are going to see um, more and more just like People, like you were saying, people exploring things from different cultures and and points of view that we haven't seen in the past. And um, that's just really, really exciting. Yeah, and also the adding in of tech, like I'm, it's on the top of my head because I haven't watched it yet, but my daughter already messaged me and said, you have to watch, I think it's Mr. Harrison's phone, but it's based on a Stephen King short story and the kid has a friend who's very old and when he dies the kid puts the guy's iPhone in in his coffin with him and then it starts texting him <laughs> like what <laughs> so okay yeah so I'm I very excited seen that about one yet either, you know but... 
<laughs> yeah, it looks very spooky. But um, I had once written a, a horror short story when when cell phones had very first started. They were they were bricks. And but in my story, people who lost someone would get a package with no return address and it would have a phone in it and when they turn it on their loved one is calling them but of course it comes at a price and leads to bad things but um but when i saw this one with the kid and and the the cell phone starts texting i'm like oh (laughs) i need to see it but i know there's a lot of horror coming out too over like you know messaging and catfishing and there's there's so many cool ways horror writers are bringing technology into the scare you know it doesn't have to be an old haunted house right right i think that that's really a neat a neat thing coming up before we run out of time um what what are you i know we've got the new book that's up for pre-order and the zombie books coming out next year but what are you most excited of what are you working on next well, my, um, I'll talk a little about the last book I had out, which just came out about a month ago, and that is Haunted Tales. Oh, yeah. That is another collection of classic um, horror stories that I co-edited with my friend Les Klinger. And um, there is a story in that that I think is one of the greatest neglected horror stories ever written. And, and it is a story that Charles Dickens called the greatest ghost story ever written. It's called M. Anastasius. Wow. And it uh, first came out in 1850, let's see, 1855, and it's an incredible short story. I was so happy to have that appear in this book. And um, one of the things that Les and I do with our books is we annotate them. So people might go in thinking, I don't want to read something from 1855. I won't even understand it, blah, blah, blah. Well, with the annotations, we try to make them very accessible to everyone. And I think these stories hold up and, and are enjoyable and accessible and um, that one in particular is one I cannot wait to to hear how people respond to that and because I thought it was remarkable I agreed with Mr. Dickens in that case I guess Um, and uh, (laughs) that has just come out and then uh, on the 21st I have the novella and uh, I also have some interesting short stories that have come out recently I'm um, did a take on the Headless Horseman for a book called Classic Monsters Unleashed, and that was really oh. fun. And I also did a Halloween-themed ghost story for a book called Literally Dead that is a collection of Halloween-themed ghost stories, and that just came out and is available now. Oh, my gosh. So can you tell me the title again of the one that with the Charles Dickens that's called very simply haunted tales, although there is a long and cumbersome okay. subtitle, which I somehow never <laughs> right. wrap my tongue around. Classic <laughs> stories of ghosts and the supernatural, I think, is it. Um, and that is out in hardback now. It should be out in paperback later this year, uh, or next year rather. And then my. Um, seance book calling the spirits is about to come out in paperback for the first time oh great that one was a great book everyone should go check that out and if you have been watching uh life after death i think it's called on netflix they have a whole section of that docu-series is on uh seances and and mediums from old times and anyway it was it was fascinating and if you are into that you will love lisa's book on on the history of seances so definitely check it out (laughs) 
thanks so much for being with us. I We could talk for hours about spooky things, but I really appreciate you giving us your time, and happy Halloween. Thanks, and same to you and everybody listening. Thank you. We'll talk to you next year, Lisa. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks a lot, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Book Life. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.